0: Section twenty six of Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, or Virtue Rewarded, by Samuel Richardson. Section twenty six. Saturday morning, the third of my happy nuptials. I must still write on, till I come to be settled in the duty of the station to which I am so generously exalted, and to let you participate with me the transporting pleasures that rise from my new condition, and the favours that are hourly heaped upon me by the best of husbands. When I had got my packet for you finished, I then set about writing, as he had kindly directed me, to Mrs. Jarvis, and had no difficulty till I came to sign my name and so I brought it down with me when I was called to supper unsigned. My good master, for I now delight, and always shall, to call him by that name, had been writing to Mr. Longman, and he said pleasantly, See here, my dearest, what I have written to your somebody. I read as follows. Mr. Longman, I have the pleasure to acquaint you that last Thursday I was married to my beloved Pamela. I have had reason to be disobliged with you and Mrs. Jarvis and Jonathan, not for your kindness to and regard for my dear spouse that is now, but for the manner in which you appealed to my sister Davis, which has made a very wide breach between her and me. But as it was one of her first requests that I would overlook what had passed and reinstate you in all your former charges, I think myself obliged, without the least hesitation, to comply with it so if you please you may again enter upon an office which you have always executed with unquestionable integrity and to the satisfaction of yours etc friday afternoon i shall set out next tuesday or wednesday for bedfordshire and desire to find jonathan as well as you in your former offices in which i dare say you'll have the more pleasure "'as you have such an early instance of the sentiments of my dear wife, "'from whose goodness you may expect every agreeable thing. "'She writes herself to Mrs. Jarvis. "'I thanked him most gratefully for his goodness, "'and afterward took the above copy of it "'and showed him my letter to Mrs. Jarvis as follows. "'My dear Mrs. Jarvis, "'I have joyful tidings to communicate to you, "'for yesterday I was happily married to the best of gentlemen,' "'Yours and my beloved master. "'I have only now to tell you that I am inexpressibly happy, "'that my generous benefactor denies me nothing, "'and even anticipates my wishes. "'You may be sure I could not forget my dear Mrs. Jarvis, "'and I made it my request, and had it granted, as soon as asked, "'that you might return to the kind charge which you executed "'with so much advantage to our master's interest, "'and so much pleasure to all under your direction.' All the power that is put into my hands by the most generous of men shall be exerted to make everything easy and agreeable to you. And as I shall soon have the honour of attending my beloved to Bedfordshire, it will be a very considerable addition to my delight and to my unspeakable obligations to the best of men to see my dear Mrs. Jarvis and to be received by her with that pleasure which I promised myself from her affection." I am, my dear good friend, and always will be. "'Yours very affectionately and gratefully, Pamela. "'He read this letter, and said, 'Tis yours, my dear, and must be good. "'But don't you put your name to it?' "'Sir,' said I, "'your goodness has given me a right to a very honourable one. "'But as this is the first occasion of the kind, "'except that to my dear father and mother, "'I think I ought to show it you unsigned.' "'that I may not seem over-forward to take advantage of the honour you have done me. "'However sweetly humble and requisite,' he said he, "'that this may appear to my dear Pamela's niceness, "'it befits me to tell you that I am every moment more and more pleased "'with the right you have to my name. "'And, my dear life,' added he, "'I've only to wish I may be half as worthy as you are of the happy knots so lately knit.' HE THEN TOOK A PEN HIMSELF AND WROTE, AFTER PAMELA, HIS MOST WORTHY surname. AND I UNDERWROTE THUS, I REJOICE WITH ME, MY DEAR MRS. JARVIS, THAT I AM ENABLED BY GOD'S GRACIOUSNESS AND MY DEAR MASTER'S GOODNESS THUS TO WRITE MYSELF. THESE LETTERS AND THE PACKET TO YOU WERE SENT AWAY BY MR. THOMAS EARLY THIS MORNING. MY DEAREST MASTER IS JUST GONE TO TAKE A RIDE OUT and intends to call upon Lady Jones, Mrs. Peters, and Sir Simon Danford to invite them to chapel and dinner to-morrow, and says he chooses to do it himself because the time is so short they will perhaps deny a servant. I forgot to mention that Mr. Williams was here yesterday to ask leave to go to see his new living, and to provide for taking possession of it and seemed so pleased with my master's kindness and fondness for me, as well as his generous deportment to himself, that he left us in such a disposition as showed he was quite happy. I am very glad of it, for it would rejoice me to be a humble means of making all mankind so. And, oh, what returns ought I not to make to the divine goodness, and how ought I to strive to diffuse the blessings I experience to all in my knowledge." Or else, what is it for such a worm as I to be exalted? What is my single happiness, if I suffer it, niggard-like, to extend no further than to myself? But then, indeed, do God's almighty creatures act worthy of the blessings they receive, when they make, or endeavour to make, the whole creation, so far as in the circle of their power, happy? Great and good God, as thou hast enlarged my opportunities, enlarge also my will and make me delight in dispensing to others a portion of that happiness which I myself so plentifully received at the hand of thy gracious providence. Then shall I not be useless in my generation. Then shall I not stand a single mark of thy goodness to a poor worthless creature, that in herself is of so small account in the scale of beings, a mere cipher on the wrong side of a figure, but shall be placed on the right side, And though nothing worthy in myself, shall give signification by my place, and multiply the blessings I owe to thy goodness, which has distinguished me by so fair a lot. This, as I conceive, is the indispensable duty of a high condition, and how great must be the condemnation of poor creatures, at the great day of account, when they shall be asked, What uses have they made of the opportunities put into their hands? and are only able to say, We have lived but to ourselves. We have circumscribed all the power that has given us into one narrow selfish compass. We have heaped up treasures for those who came after us, though we knew not whether they would not make a still worse use of them than we ourselves did. And how can such poor selfish pleaders expect any other sentence than the dreadful, Depart ye cursed! But surely, my dear father and mother, such persons can have no notion of the exalted pleasures that flow from doing good, were there to be no after account at all. There is something so satisfactory and pleasing to reflect on the being able to administer comfort and relief to those in stand of need of it, as infinitely of itself rewards the beneficent mind. And how often have I experienced this in my good lady's time, though but the second-hand dispenser of her benefits to the poor and sickly, when she made me her arminer! How I have been affected with the blessings which the miserable have heaped upon her for her goodness, and upon me for being but the humble conveyor of her bounty to them! And how delighted have I been, when the moving report I have made of a particular distress has augmented my good lady's first intentions in relief of it! THIS I RECALL WITH PLEASURE, BECAUSE IT IS NOW, BY THE DIVINE GOODNESS, BECOME MY PART TO DO THESE GOOD THINGS SHE WAS wont TO DO. AND, oh, LET ME WATCH MYSELF, THAT MY PROSPEROUS STATE DO NOT MAKE ME FORGET TO LOOK UP WITH DUE THANKFULNESS TO THE PROVIDENCE WHICH HAS ENTRUSTED ME WITH THE POWER, SO THAT I MAY NOT INCUR A TERRIBLE WOE BY THE ABUSE OR NEGLECT OF IT. FORGIVE ME THESE REFLECTIONS, MY DEAR PARENTS, AND LET ME HAVE YOUR PRAYERS. That I MAY NOT FIND MY PRESENT HAPPINESS A SNARE TO ME, BUT THAT I MAY CONSIDER THAT MORE AND MORE WILL BE EXPECTED FROM ME, IN PROPORTION TO THE POWER GIVEN ME, AND THAT I MAY NOT SO UNWORTHILY ACT, AS IF I BELIEVED I OUGHT TO SET UP MY REST IN MY MEAN SELF, AND THINK NOTHING FURTHER TO BE DONE, WITH THE OPPORTUNITIES PUT IN MY HAND BY THE DIVINE FAVOUR AND THE BEST OF MEN. SATURDAY, SEVEN O'CLOCK IN THE EVENING "'My master returned home to dinner to compliment to me, "'though much pressed to dine with Lady Jones, "'as he was also by Sir Simon to dine with him. "'But Mr. Peters could not conveniently provide a preacher "'for his own church to-morrow morning, at so short a notice, "'Mr. Williams being gone, as I said, to his new living, "'but believed he could for the afternoon, "'and so he promised to give us his company to dinner "'and to read afternoon service.' and this made my master invite all the rest, as well as him, to dinner and not to church, and he made them promise to come, and told Mr. Peters he would send his coach for him and his family. Miss Stanford told him pleasantly she would not come unless he would promise to let her be at his wedding, by which I find Mr. Peters has kept the secret, as my master desired. He was pleased to give me an airing after dinner in the chariot, "'and renewed his kind assurances to me, "'and, if possible, is kinder than ever. "'This is sweetly comfortable to me, "'because it shows me he does not repent "'of his condescensions to me, "'and it encourages me to look up to him "'with more satisfaction of mind "'and less doubtfulness. "'I begged leave to send a guinea "'to a poor body in the town "'that I heard by Mrs. Duke lay very ill, "'and was very destitute.' HE SAID, SEND TO, MY DEAR, IF YOU PLEASE. SAID I, SIR, I WILL NEVER DO ANYTHING OF THIS KIND WITHOUT LETTING YOU KNOW WHAT I DO. HE MOST generously ANSWERED, I SHALL THEN, PERHAPS, HAVE YOU DO LESS GOOD THAN YOU WOULD OTHERWISE DO FROM A DOUBT OF ME, THOUGH I HOPE YOUR DISCRETION AND MINE OWN TEMPER, WHICH IS NOT avaricious, WILL MUCH SUCH DOUBTS CAUSELESS. NOW, MY DEAR, CONTINUED HE, "'I'll tell you how we will order this point, "'to avoid even the shadow of uneasiness on one side "'or doubt on the other. "'As to your father and mother in the first place, "'they shall be quite out of the question, "'for I have already determined in my mind about them, "'and it is thus. "'They shall go down, if they and you think well of it, "'to my little Kentish estate, "'which I once mentioned to you in such a manner "'has made you reject it with a nobleness of mind.' "'that gave me pain then, but pleasure since. "'There is a pretty little farm and house, "'untenanted upon that estate, "'and tolerably well stocked, "'and I will further stock it for them, "'for such industrious folks won't know how to live "'without some employment, "'and it shall be theirs for both their lives "'without paying any rent, "'and I will allow them fifty pounds per annum beside, "'that they may keep up the stock "'and be kind to any others of their relations.' without being beholden to you or me for such small matters, and for greater when needful, you shall always have it in your power to accommodate them, for I shall never question your prudence. And we will, so long as God spares our lives, go down once a year to see them, and they shall come up as often as they please, it cannot be too often to see us. For I mean not this, my dear, to send them from us. Before I proceed, does my Pamela like this? "'Oh, sir,' said I, the English tongue affords not words, or at least I have them not, to express sufficiently my gratitude. "'Teach me, dear sir,' continued I, and pressed his dear hand to my lips. "'Teach me some other language, if there be any, that abounds with more grateful terms, that I may not be thus choked with meanings for which I can find no utterance.' "'My charmer,' said he, "'your language is all wonderful as your sentiments.' "'and you must abound what you seem most to want. "'All that I wish is to find my proposals agreeable to you, "'and if my first are not, my second shall be, "'if I can but know what you wish.' "'Did I say too much, my dear parents, "'when I said he was, if possible, kinder and kinder? "'Oh, the blessed man! "'How my heart is overwhelmed with his goodness!' "'Well,' said he, my dearest, "'let me desire you to mention this to him, "'to see if they approve. "'But if it be your choice and theirs "'to have them nearer to you, "'or even under the same roof with you, "'I will freely consent to it.' "'Oh, no, sir,' said I, "'and I fear almost sinned in my grateful flight. "'I am sure they would not choose that. "'They could not perhaps serve God so well "'if they were to live with you. "'For so constantly seeing the hand that blesses them "'they would, it may be, as much my care to avoid, "'be tempted to look no further in their gratitude "'than to the dear dispenser of such innumerable benefits.' "'Excellent creature,' said he, "'my beloved wants no language or sentiments neither, "'and her charming thoughts, so sweetly expressed, "'would grace any language. "'And this is a blessing almost peculiar to my fairest. "'Your so kind acceptance, my Pamela,' added he, "'repays the benefit with interest, "'and leaves me under obligation to your goodness. "'But now, my dearest, I will tell you what we will do "'with regard to points of your own private charity, "'for far be it from me to put under that name "'the subject we have been mentioning, "'because that, and more than that is duty to persons so worthy "'and so nearly related to my Pamela, "'and as such to myself. "'Oh, how the sweet man addues me in thoughts!' words, power, and everything. And this, he said, lies in very small compass, for I will allow you two hundred pounds a year, which longman shall constantly pay you at fifty pounds a quarter, for your own use, and of which I expect no account, to commence from the day you enter into my other house. I mean, said he, that the first fifty pounds shall then be due, because you shall have something to begin with. "'And,' added the dear generous man, "'if this be pleasing to you, let it, since you say you want words, "'be signified with such a sweet kiss as you gave me yesterday.' "'I hesitated not a moment to comply with these obliging terms, "'and threw my arms around his dear neck, though in the chariot, "'and blessed his goodness to me. "'But indeed, sir,' said I, "'I cannot bear this generous treatment.' HE WAS PLEASED TO SAY, DON'T BE UNEASY, MY DEAR, ABOUT THESE TRIFLES. GOD HAS BLESSED ME WITH A VERY GOOD ESTATE, AND ALL OF IT IN PROSPEROUS CONDITION, AND GENERALLY WELL TENANTED. I LAY UP MONEY EVERY YEAR, AND BESIDES HAVE LARGE SUMS IN GOVERNMENT AND OTHER SECURITIES. SO YOU WILL FIND WHAT I HAVE HITHERTO PROMISED IS VERY SHORT OF THAT PROPORTION OF MY SUBSTANCE WHICH IS MY DEAREST WIFE YOU HAVE A RIGHT TO. In this sweet manner did we pass our time till evening, when the chariot brought us home. And then our supper succeeded in the same agreeable manner. And thus, in a rapturous circle, the time moves on, every hour bringing with it something more delightful than the past. Sure nobody was ever so blessed as I. Sunday, the fourth day of my happiness— not going to chapel this morning, the reason of which I told you, I bestowed the time from the hour of my beloved's rising to breakfast, in prayer and thanksgiving in my closet, and now I begin to be quite easy, cheerful, and free in my spirits, and the rather as I find myself encouraged by the tranquillity and pleasing vivacity in the temper and behaviour of my husband, who thereby shows he does not repent of his goodness to me. "'I attended him to breakfast with great pleasure and freedom, "'and he seemed quite pleased with me, and said, "'Now does my dearest begin to look upon me "'with an air of serenity and satisfaction? "'It shall always,' added he, "'my delight to give you occasion "'for the sweet becoming aspect of confidence in pleasure in me.' "'My heart, dear sir,' said I, "'is quite easy, and has lost all its foolish tumults, "'which combating with my gratitude "'might give an unacceptable appearance to my behaviour. BUT NOW YOUR GOODNESS, SIR, HAS ENABLED IT TO GET THE BETTER OF ITS uneasy APPREHENSIONS, AND MY HEART IS ALL OF ONE PEACE AND DEVOTED TO YOU, AND GRATEFUL to TRANQUILITY. AND COULD I BE SO HAPPY AS TO SEE YOU AND MY GOOD LADY DAVIS RECONCILED, I SHALL HAVE NOTHING IN THIS WORLD TO WISH FOR MORE, BUT THE CONTINUANCE OF YOUR FAVOUR. HE SAID, I WISH THIS RECONCILIATION, MY DEAREST, AS WELL AS YOU, and i do assure you more for your sake than my own and if she would behave tolerably i should make the terms easier to her for that's the reason he said i will lay down one rule for you my pamela to observe in your dress and i will tell you everything i like or dislike as it occurs to me and i would have you do the same on your part that nothing may be upon either of our minds that may occasion the least reservedness I have often observed in married folks that in a little while the lady grows careless in her dress, which to me looks as if she would take no pains to secure the affection she has gained, and shows a slight to her husband that she had not to her lover. Now you must know this has always given me great offence, and I should not forgive it even in my Pamela, though she would have the excuse for herself that thousands could not make that she looks lovely in everything.' So, my dear, I shall expect of you always to be dressed by dinner-time, except something extraordinary happens, and this whether you are to go abroad or stay at home. For this, my love, will continue to you that sweet ease in your dress and behaviour, which you are so happy a mistress of. And whomsoever I bring home with me to my table, you will be in readiness to receive them, and will not want to make those foolish apologies to unexpected visitors, "'that carry with them a reflection on the conduct of those who make them, "'and besides will convince me that you think yourself obliged to appear "'as graceful to your husband as you would to persons less familiar with your sight.' "'This, dear sir,' said I, is a most obliging injunction, "'and I most heartily thank you for it, and will always take care to obey it.' "'Why, my dear,' said he, "'you may better do this than half your sex,' "'because they too generally act in such a manner "'as if they seem to think that the privilege of birth and fortune "'to turn day into night, and night into day, "'and are seldom stirring till it is time to sit down to dinner. "'And so all the good old family rules are reversed. "'For they breakfast when they should dine, "'dine when they should sup, "'and sup when they should go to bed, "'and by the help of dear quadrille "'sometimes go to bed when they ought to rise.' in all things but these my dear continued he i expect you to be a lady and my good mother was one of this old-fashioned cut and in all other respects as worthy a lady as any in the kingdom and so you have not been used to the new way and may easier practise the other dear sir said i pray give me more of your sweet injunctions why then continued he i shall in the usual course and generally if not hindered by company "'like to go to bed with my dearest by eleven, "'and if I don't, shan't hinder you. "'I ordinarily now rise by six in summer. "'I will allow you to be half an hour after me or so. "'Then you'll have some little time you may call your own, "'till you give me your company to breakfast, "'which may always be so, "'so that we may have done at a little after nine. "'Then you will have several hours again at your disposal till two o'clock, "'when I shall like to sit down at table. "'You will then have several useful hours more "'to employ yourself as you best like, "'and I would generally go to supper by eight. "'And when we are resolved to stick to these old-fashioned rules "'as near as we can, "'we shall have our visitors conform to them too, "'and expect them from us, "'and suit themselves accordingly. "'For I have always observed "'that it is in every one's power "'to prescribe rules to himself.' It is only standing a few ridiculous jests at first, and that too from such generally as are not the most worthy to be minded. And after a while they will say, it signifies nothing to ask him, he will have his own way. There was no putting him out of his bias, he is a regular piece of clockwork, will they joke, and all. And why, my dear, should we not be so?' FOR MAN IS AS FRAIL A PIECE OF MACHINERY AS ANY CLOCKWORK WHATEVER, AND BY IRREGULARITY IS AS SUBJECT TO BE DISORDERED. THEN, MY DEAR, CONTINUED THE CHARMING MAN, WHEN THEY SEE THEY ARE RECEIVED AT MY OWN TIMES, WITH OPEN countenance AND CHEERFUL HEART, WHEN THEY SEE PLENTY AND VARIETY AT MY BOARD, AND MEET A KIND AND HEARTY WELCOME FROM US BOTH, THEY WILL NOT OFFER TO BREAK IN UPON MY CONDITIONS, NOR GRUDGE ME MY REGULAR HOURS. AND AS MOST OF THESE PEOPLE HAVE NOTHING TO DO, EXCEPT TO RISE IN THE MORNING, THEY MAY AS WELL COME TO BREAKFAST WITH US AT HALF AN HOUR AFTER EIGHT IN SUMMER, AS AT TEN OR ELEVEN, TO DINNER AT TWO, AS AS FOUR, FIVE, OR SIX, AND TO SUPPER AT EIGHT, AS AT TEN OR ELEVEN. AND THEN OUR SERVANTS, TOO, WILL KNOW GENERALLY THE TIMES OF THEIR BUSINESS, AND THE HOURS OF THEIR LEISURE AND ALL RECESS, AND WE, AS WELL AS THOSE, SHALL REAP THE BENEFITS OF THIS REGULARITY. And who knows, my dear, but we may revive the good old fashion in our neighbourhood by this means. At least it will be doing our parts towards it, and answering the good lesson I learnt at school. Every one mend one. And the worst that will happen will be that when some of my brother rake, such as those who broke in upon us so unwelcomely last Thursday, I got out of the way, if that can ever be, and begin to consider who they shall go to dine with in their rambles, they will only say, We must not go to him, for his dinner-time is over, and so they'll reserve me for another time, when they happen to suit it better, or perhaps they will take our supper in bed with me instead of it. Now, my dearest, continued the kind man, you see here are more of my injunctions, as you call them. "'and they all will not be so set as to quarrel "'if they are not always exactly complied with. "'Yet, as I know, you won't think them unreasonable. "'I shall be glad they may as often as they can, "'and you will give your orders accordingly to your Mrs. Jarvis, "'who is a good woman, and will take pleasure in obeying you.' "'Oh, dearest, dear sir,' said I, "'have you nothing more to honour me with? "'You oblige and improve me at the same time. "'What a happy lot is mine!' "'Well, let me see, my dearest,' said he. "'But I think of no more at present. "'For it be needless to say how much I value you "'for your natural sweetness of temper "'and that open cheerfulness of countenance which adorned you, "'when nothing has given my fairest apprehensions for her virtue. "'A sweetness and a cheerfulness "'that prepossesses in your favour at first sight "'the mind of every one that beholds you. "'I need not, I hope, say, "'I would have you diligently preserve this sweet appearance. "'Let no thwarting accident, no cross-fortune, "'for we must not expect to be exempt from such happy as we are now in each other, "'deprive this sweet face of its principal grace. "'And when anything unpleasing happens, in quarter of an hour, "'at farthest, begin to mistrust yourself, and apply to your glass, "'and if you see a gloom arising or arisen, banish it instantly. "'Smooth your dear countenance.' Resume your former composure, and then, my dearest, whose heart must always be seen in her face, and cannot be a hypocrite, will find this a means to smooth her passions also. And if the occasion be too strong for so sudden a conquest, she will know how to do it more effectually by repairing to her closet, and begging that gracious assistance which has never yet failed her. And so shall I, my dear, who, as you once but too justly observed, have been too much indulged by my good mother, have an example from you, as well as a pleasure in you, which will never be palled. One thing, he continued he, I have frequently observed at the house of many a gentleman, that when we have unexpectedly visited or broken in upon the family order laid down by the lady, and especially if any of us have laid under the suspicion of having occasionally seduced our married companion into bad hours or given indifferent examples, the poor gentleman has been oddly affected at our coming, though the good breeding of the lady has made her just keep-up appearances. He has looked so conscious, has been so afraid, as it were, to disoblige, has made so many excuses for some of us, before we have been accused, as have always shown me how unwelcome we have been, and how much he is obliged to compound with his lady for a tolerable reception of us. And perhaps she, too, in proportion to the honest man's concern to court her smiles, has been more reserved, stiff, and formal, and has behaved with an indifference and in slight that has often made me wish myself out of her house, till too plainly I have seen it was not his. This, my dear, you would judge by my description has afforded me subjects for amy aversion upon the married life for a man may not though in the main he is willing to flatter himself that he is master of the house and will assert his prerogative upon great occasions when it is strongly invaded be always willing to contend and such women as those i have described are always ready to take the field and are worse enemies than the old parthians who annoy most when they seem to retreat and never fail to return to the charge again, and carry on the offensive war till they have tired out resistance, and made the husband willing, like a vanquished enemy, to compound for small matters in order to preserve something. At least the poor man does not care to let his friends see his case, and so will not provoke a fire to break out that he sees, and so do his friends too. The meek lady has much ado to smother." and which very possibly burns with a most comfortable ardour after we have gone. "'You smile, my Pamela,' said he, at this whimsical picture, "'and I'm sure I shall never have reason to include you in these disagreeable outlines. "'But yet I will say that I expect from you, whoever comes to my house, "'that you accustom yourself to one even uniform compliance, "'that no frown takes place on your brow, "'that however ill or well provided we may be for their reception,' you show no flutter or discomposure. "'That whoever you may have in your company at the time, "'you signify not, by the least reserved look, "'that the stranger has come upon you unseasonably, "'or to time you wished he had not. "'But be facetious, kind, obliging to all. "'And if to one more than any other, "'to such as have the least reason to expect it from you, "'or who are the most inferior at the table,' "'For thus will you, my Pamela, cheer the doubting mind, "'quiet the uneasy heart, "'and diffuse ease, pleasure, and tranquility around my board.' "'And be sure, my dear,' continued he, "'let no little accidents ruffle your temper. "'I shall never forget once I was at Lady Arthur's, "'and a footman happened to stumble and let fall a fine china dish "'and broke it all to pieces. "'It was grievous to see the uneasiness that gave the poor lady.' and she was so sincere in it that she suffered it to spread all over the company, and it was a pretty large one too, and not a person in it but turned either her consoler or fell into stories of the like misfortunes. And so we all became, for the rest of the evening, nothing but blundering footmen and careless servants, or were turned into broken jars, plates, glasses, tea-cups, and such brittle substances." and it affected me so much that when i came home i went to bed and dreamt that robin with the handle of his whip broke the foreglass glass of my chariot and i was so solicitous methought to keep the good lady in countenance for her anger that i broke his head in revenge and stabbed one of my coach-horses and all the comfort i had when it was done methought was that i had not exposed myself before company and there were no sufferers but guilty robin "'and one innocent coach-horse. "'I was exceedingly diverted with the facetious hints "'and the pleasant manner in which he gave them, "'and I promised to improve by the excellent lessons contained in them. "'I then went up and dressed myself, as like a bride as I could, "'in my best clothes, "'and on inquiry, hearing my dearest master was gone to walk in the garden, "'I went to find him out. "'He was reading in the little alcove, and I said,' "'Sir, am I licensed to intrude upon you?' "'No, my dear,' said he, "'because you cannot intrude. "'I am so wholly yours "'that wherever I am "'you have not only a right to join me, "'but you do me a very acceptable favour "'at the same time.' "'I have, sir,' said I, "obeyed your first kind injunction "'as to dressing myself before dinner. "'But maybe you are busy, sir.' "'He put up the papers he was reading, "'and said,' I can have no business or pleasure of equal value to your company, my dear. What were you going to say? Only, sir, to know if you have any more kind injunctions to give me. I could hear you talk a whole day together. You are very obliging, Pamela, said he, but you are so perfectly what I wished that I may have spared those I gave you. But I was willing you should have a taste of my freedom with you, to put you upon the like with me.' "'for I am confident there can be no friendships lasting without freedom, "'and without communicating to one another even the little caprices. "'If my Pamela can have any such, which may occasion uneasiness to either.' "'Now, my dear,' said he, "'be so kind as to find some fault with me, "'and tell me what you would wish me to do, "'to appear more agreeable to you.' "'Oh, sir,' said I, and I could have kissed him but for shame. "'To be sure, I shall grow a sad, fond hussy.' "'I have not one single thing to wish for, no, not one.' "'He saluted me very kindly, and said he should be sorry if I had, "'and forbore to speak of it. "'Do you think, dear sir,' said I, "'that your Pamela has no conscience? "'Do you think that because you so kindly oblige her, "'and delight in obliging her, "'that she must rack her invention for trials of your goodness, "'and knows not when she is happy?' "'Oh, my dearest sir,' added I, "'Less than one-half of the favours you have so generously conferred upon me "'was that have exceeded my uttermost wishes.' "'My dear angel,' said he, and kissed me again, "'I shall be troublesome to you with my kisses, "'if you continue thus sweetly obligingly in your actions and expressions.' "'Oh, sir,' said I, "'I have been thinking, as I was dressing myself, "'what excellent lessons you teach me.' When you commanded me at your table to cheer the doubting mind, and comfort the uneasy heart, and to behave most kindly to those who have least reason to expect it, and are the most inferior, how sweetly, in every instant that could possibly occur, have you done this yourself, by your poor unworthy Pamela, till you have diffused in your own dear words ease, pleasure, and tranquillity around my glad heart. Then, sir, when you bid me not be disturbed by little accidents, or by strangers coming in upon me unexpectedly, how noble an instance did you give me of this, when on a happy wedding-day the coming of Sir Charles Hargrave and the other two gentlemen, for which you were quite unprovided, and which hindered our happiness of dining together on that chosen day, did not so disturb you, but that you entertained the gentlemen pleasantly, and parted with them civilly and kindly. What charming instances are these, I have been recollecting with pleasure, of your pursuing the doctrine you deliver. My dear, said he, these observations are very kind in you, and much to my advantage. But if I do not always, for I fear these were too much accidents, so well pursue the doctrines I lay down, my Pamela must not expect that my imperfections will be a plea for her non-observance of my lessons, as you may call them for I doubt I shall ever be half so perfect as you, and so I cannot permit you to recede in your goodness, though I may find myself unable to advance as I ought to in my duty. I hope sir," so, said I, by God's grace, I never shall. I believe it, said he, but I only mention this knowing my own defects, lest my future lessons should not be so well warranted by my practice as in the instances you have so kindly recollected. He was pleased to take notice of my dress, and, spanning my waist with his hands, said, "'What a sweet shape is here! It would make one regret to lose it. And yet, my beloved Pamela, I shall think nothing but that loss wanting to complete my happiness.' I put my bold hand before his mouth and said, "'Hush, hush! Oh fie, sir! The freest thing you have ever said, since I have been yours!' HE KISSED MY HAND, AND SAID, SUCH AN INNOCENT WISH, MY DEAREST, MAY BE PERMITTED, BECAUSE IT IS THE END OF THE INSTITUTION. BUT SAY, WOULD SUCH A CASE BE UNWELCOME TO MY PAMELA? I WOULD SAY, SIR, SAID I, AND HID MY BLUSHING FACE ON HIS BOSOM, THAT YOUR WISHES IN EVERYTHING SHALL BE MINE. BUT PRAY, SIR, SAY NO MORE. HE KINDLY SALUTED ME AND THANKED ME, AND CHANGED THE SUBJECT. I WAS NOT TOO FREE, I HOPE. Thus we talked till we heard the coaches, and then he said, "'Stay here in the garden, my dear, and I'll bring the company to you.' And when he was gone, I passed by the back door, kneeled down against it, and blessed God for not permitting my then so much desired escape. I went to the pond, and kneeled down on the mossy bank, and again blessed God there, for his mercy in my escape from myself, my then worst enemy, though I thought I had none but enemies, and no friend near me. "'and so I ought to do in almost every step of this garden "'and every room in this house. "'And I was bending my steps to the dear little chapel "'to make my acknowledgment there, "'but saw the company coming towards me. "'Miss Stamford said, "'So, Miss Andrews, how do you do now? "'Oh, you look so easy, so sweetly, so pleased, "'that I know you'll let me dance at your wedding, "'for I shall long to be there. "'Lady Jones was pleased to say I looked like an angel.' and Mrs. Peters said I improved upon them every time they saw me. Lady Downford was also pleased to make me a fine compliment, and said I looked freer and easier every time she saw me. Dear heart, I wish, thought I, you would spare these compliments, for I shall have some joke I doubt passed on me by and by, that will make me suffer for all these fine things. Mr. Peters said, God bless you, dear daughter, but not so much as my wife knows it. Sir so Simon came in last and took me by the hand and said, Mr. B, by your leave, and kissed my hand five or six times as if he were mad, and held it with both his, and made a very free jest by way of compliment in his way. Well, I think a young rake is hardly tolerable, but an old rake and an old beau are two very sad things, and all this before daughters, women grown. I whispered to my dearest at a little after and said, "'I fear I shall suffer much from Sir Simon's rude jokes by and by "'when you reveal the matter.' "'Tis his way, my dear,' said he. "'You must now grow above these things.' "'Miss Nanny Downford said to me, with a sort of half-grave ironical air, "'Well, Miss Andrews, if I may judge by your easy deportment now, "'to what it was when I saw you last, "'I hope you will let my sister, if you won't me, see the happy knot-tied.' "'for she is quite wild about it. "'I curtsied and only said you are all very good to me, ladies.' "'Mrs. Peter's niece said, "'Well, Miss Andrews, I hope before we part "'we shall be told the happy day.' "'My good master heard her, and said, "'You shall, you shall, madam.' "'That's pure,' said Miss Darnford. "'He took me aside and said softly, "'Shall I lead them to the alcove and tell them there, "'or stay till we go into dinner?' "'Neither, sir, I think,' said I. "'I fear I shan't stand it.' "'Nay,' said he, "'they must know it. "'I would not have invited them else.' "'Why then, sir,' said I, "'let it be alone till they are going away.' "'Then,' replied he, "'you must pull off your ring.' "'No, no, sir,' said I, "'that I must not.' "'Well,' said he, "'do you tell Miss Danford of it yourself?' "'Indeed, sir,' answered I, "'I cannot.' "'Mrs. Dukes came officiously to ask my master just then "'if she should bring a glass of rhenish and sugar before dinner "'for the gentlemen and ladies. "'And he said, "'That's well thought of. Bring it, Mrs. Dukes.' "'And she came with Nan attending her, "'with two bottles and glasses and the salver. "'And must needs, making a low curtsy, "'offered first to me, saying, "'Will your ladyship begin?' "'I coloured like scarlet, and said, "'No, my master, to be sure.' "'But they all took the hint, and Miss Stanford said, "'I'll be hanged if they have not stolen a wedding,' said Mrs. Peters. "'It must certainly be so. Ah, Mr. Peters!' "'I'll assure you,' said he, "'I have not married them.' "'Where were you?' said she, and Mr. Williams, last Thursday morning. "'Said Sir Simon. "'Let me alone, let me alone. If anything has been stolen, I'll find it out. "'I'm a justice of the peace, you know. "'And so he took me by the hand and said—' "'Come, madam, answer me by the oath you have taken. "'Are you married or not?' "'My master smiled to see me look so like a fool, "'and I said, "Pray, Sir Simon.' "'Aye, aye,' said he, "'I thought you did not look so smirking upon us for nothing.' "'Well then, Pamela,' said my master, "'since your blushes discover you, "'don't be ashamed, but confess the truth.' "'Now,' said Miss Darnford, "'I am quite angry,' "'and said Lady Darnford, "'I am quite pleased. "'Let me give you joy, dear madam, "'if it be so.' "'and so they all said and saluted me round. "'I was vexed it was before Mrs. Dukes, "'for she shook her fat sides "'and seemed highly pleased to be a means of discovering it. "'Nobody,' said, "'my master wishes me joy.' "'No,' said Lady Jones very obligingly, "'nobody need. "'For with such a peerless sprouse "'you want no good wishes.' "'And he saluted them, "'and when he came last to me, "'said before them, "'Now, my sweet bride, my Pamela, "'let me conclude with you.' for here i began to love and here i desire to end loving but not until my life ends this was sweetly said and taken great notice of and it was doing credit to his own generous choice and vastly more than i merited but i was forced to stand many more jokes afterwards for sir simon said several times come come madam now you become one of us i shall be a little less scrupulous than i have been i assure you when we came in to dinner "'I made no difficulty of what all offered me, the upper end of the table, "'and performed the honours of it with pretty tolerable presence of mind, considering. "'And with much ado, my good benefactor promising to be down again before winter, "'we got off the ball, but appointed Tuesday evenings at Lady Darnford's "'to take leave of all this good company, who promised to be there, "'my master designing to set out on Wednesday morning for Bedfordshire.' WE HAD PRAYERS IN THE LITTLE CHAPEL IN THE AFTERNOON, BUT THEY ALL WISHED FOR THE GOOD CLERK AGAIN, WITH GREAT aconiums UPON YOU, MY DEAR FATHER, AND THE COMPANY STAYED SUPPER ALSO, AND DEPARTED EXCEEDINGLY WELL SATISFIED, AND WITH ABUNDANCE OF WISHES FOR THE CONTINUANCE OF OUR MUTUAL HAPPINESS, AND MY MASTER DESIRED MR. PETERS TO ANSWER FOR HIM TO THE RINGERS OF THE TOWN, IF THEY SHOULD HEAR OF IT, TILL I RETURN INTO THIS COUNTRY, AND THEN HE WOULD BE BOUNTIFUL TO THEM because he would not publicly declare it till he had first done so in Bedfordshire. End of Section 26